Welcome to Restore, a Good Shepherd Bible Church podcast. This podcast is designed to help you better lead or engage with your community group conversation. Each episode, we'll review last week's sermon and probe a little deeper in order to help you process your Christian experience, life in community, and work on mission. Thank you for joining me. This is Restore. Welcome into the podcast today. Thanks for joining me on Restore. Uh, this is, oh, I don't know. What is it? Um, week, is it part part eight? I Man, I don't even, I honestly don't even remember. It feels like it's been, it's been that long. I know it's only been two weeks since we were back in the book of Acts, but uh, it might be, it might be part seven. I can't even remember. I do think it is part seven. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but this is uh, our study through the book of Acts. We are looking at uh, this idea of, of witnesses, that we are simply imperfect people beholding Jesus' perfect work uh, through the book of Acts, and we trace the work of the apostles, the life of the apostles, and the early stages of the church and the gospel spread uh, through, uh, through Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth, as we heard early on in, in the book of Acts. And we watch the kingdom kind of unfold uh, here in in these chapters, but we are in chapter three today, and uh, we are on the back half of the story of this lame man who was healed by Peter and John uh, as they were as they were em- entering the the gate. They see this lame man, and he's been lame since birth, and uh, they they heal him. Of course, they don't have any money. He says, "What what do you think? I have money, and I don't have money, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Take up your bed and walk." And he begins leaping and praising God and. Uh, and then the, the Jews are looking around because they're close to the temple at this point, and they, they look around, and they're looking at Peter and John, and man, they're, they're thinking to themselves, what, what kind of power and piety must these guys have to be able to, to, to do this act? And Peter then preaches a sermon in response to, uh, to this man being healed. Uh, and uh, essentially out of the gate, Peter says in, in our passage today, this is uh, chapter 3, verses 11 through 26, the rest of the chapter, Peter essentially says, look, this is not happening because of our power and piety. Um, I I opened the sermon yesterday with this uh, discussion on really the fact that we are all functionally polytheistic. We all worship many gods. Uh, We all worship many idols. And and these Jews were looking to some level of power and piety to, uh, to bring the healing and to bring the restoration and the rest that... Uh, that salvation would, uh, that normally salvation would, would bring, that we would all look for in light of our sin. And Peter is very easy, easy to deflect here and say, listen, this is not because of us. I, I know you're looking around for what can you get uh, or what can you do that would bring this kind of salvation. Listen, this is not something man can do. This is only something that God, the God of our fathers, uh, this is this is verse thirteen. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers could could do, and uh, and so we we look to many things to to try to save us and bring this kind of salvation. Uh, what 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 are those things for you? What are those things that you look to to bring the healing 
to bring restoration in this world, to bring rest. Um, I also mentioned that just the fact that a lot of times I kind of self-diagnose myself as disappointed and exhausted. Uh, and that's that's certainly true. I think we're all that way. The more people that I talk to uh, as, I, as I interact with even some of you in discipleship relationships, I, I can hear some of this. Uh, it's, it's disappointing to go after uh, some sort of self-salvation project and come to the end only to, to learn that you have so much more work to do uh, in order to gain that kind of salvation. Um, it can be exhausting knowing that it's an endless cycle, that these idols aren't actually able to give what, what we think they promise. Um, and yeah, so what are those things for you? Whether it's, uh, we talked about a couple things last night, um, just the idea of control, is it feeling good? If I can just get to a point where I feel good, and that can be physically, emotionally, whatever. Um, the idea of self-worth, wealth. What are these idols that we that we long for and reach for and exhaust ourselves with to, to bring salvation? Well, for these Jews, it was power and piety. And Peter says, we don't have any of it. Uh, the only thing that has happened to this man, this, this lame man, is a, is a miracle. Um. So we discussed four points from the sermon, and the first point was that uh, the people's idolatry was blinding, and that certainly is true. It keeps us from seeing uh, true salvation, and that's that's what these people were, were missing. They were looking all over the place. They were disappointed and exhausted, and here's one more opportunity for them to try to find something, and they can't find it. And so they're, uh, in their idolatry, in their pursuit of idolatry, they also have to reject Jesus. And so we saw the second point was that their, their rejection of Jesus was absolutely thorough, uh, they crucified Jesus, number one, but they crucified Jesus totally hypocritically. Uh, Pilate is mentioned in there. Uh, P- Peter in his sermon mentions like, listen, you guys, you guys appealed to a secular court in order to get this done. You weren't, you weren't even really concerned about what God would want here. Uh, you just assumed that God would want you to to murder his his son. That would be the, the godly thing for you to do. You just assumed that. You didn't really ask a lot of really good questions. You weren't really listening to what Jesus was truly saying. And so you murdered him appealing to a Roman court. Uh, and then they asked for a murderer to be delivered to to them. Uh, they, they weren't even really concerned about righteousness, true righteousness. They were just concerned about getting what they wanted. And they wanted their own savior. They wanted their own idolatry. And so they had to get rid of Jesus as a way to, to do that, to pursue that. Uh, and then they rejected their own prophets. Um, the back half of, of this chapter in verses 17 through, through uh, 26, uh, we have descriptions. Of, sorry, you can probably hear my dog walking around here. Um, you have descriptions of how God sent Moses, and, and even Moses alluded to the fact that there would be another prophet from the Jews who would, who would come and speak, and you must listen to him. Uh, and certainly all the other prophets from, from Samuel on came and were talking about the same kind of prophet. And they didn't listen to them either. So they rejected even their own, their own prophets. But in all of that, though their idolatry was blinding and though their rejection of Jesus was thorough, the good news of the gospel uh, from this passage is that Jesus' suffering allows us to see things clearly. And we'll talk about that. And then Jesus' salvation is even more thorough than our rejection. So Jesus' suffering allows us to see. Even though our idolatry is blinding, it's Jesus' suffering that allows us to see. And it's, how, it's his salvation that is even more thorough. So we took a, a look at some of these uh, these titles that 
Peter tucks up here into his sermon. I also mentioned that this is a, a really an unbelievable sermon. And a lot of people, uh, commentators that I, not a lot, but some of the commentators that I, that I read this week, um, were talking about the idea that maybe Luke kind of, um, you know, helped Peter out a little bit because they're, they're basically giving, uh, giving Peter no, no benefit of the doubt here. They're saying there's no way that Peter can be this detailed and this smart, essentially. They're basically saying Luke, who is very detail-oriented, must have included some of this stuff in addition to Sir Peter's sermon. I actually don't think that's true. I think the Spirit can do what he wants. If, if God can, can certainly use a, a dumb person like me, he can certainly use someone like Peter. So uh, I, I think it I think it's fine and it checks out. We can we can give Peter the benefit of the doubt here. Um, but listen to some of the the titles that Peter sneaks in here to his sermon. They, he calls Jesus uh, a servant, uh, uh, God God's servant in verse thirteen. Verse fourteen, he's the holy and righteous one. And then also in verse fifteen, they call him the uh, Peter calls him the author of life. These three things, and I think. Um, Really, Peter is trying to highlight here the suffering of Jesus and that it is this kind of suffering, seeing Jesus on the cross, seeing Jesus as they crucified him. They were the ones who crucified Jesus, but seeing him crucified and suffering is actually what should have allowed them to see things clearly, but they were blinded. But seeing the crucified Savior as we read this text, we can have we can have light and clarity um, about the kingdom simply by paying attention to who Jesus is. So number one, he's the servant whom is exalted. So these men tried to exalt themselves, and in turn, they denied the servant, the one who came low, the one whom God himself exalted. So the servant is exalted. Uh, it, it's not those who climb up who get exalted. It's those who go down. And they, they should have been able to see that, right? God exalted his servant whom they rejected in hopes of their own exaltation. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable, that little contrast. But secondly, they denied the holy and righteous one. Uh, we talked about this from, from Romans 3, how the righteousness of God revealed. Uh, what does that look like? Well, the righteousness of God revealed actually flows from God's heart of, of love. Uh, and we see that uh, in, in Paul's argumentation, the way he's trying to argue uh, his righteousness, God's righteousness is revealed in this way, that Jesus is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So it's not enough that Jesus just came down and 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 laid down the, the law and laid down the boom, right? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved, John three seventeen, And we, we see this. God's righteousness is revealed when Jesus came. And yes, he was just, but he was also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you want more uh, study on that, I really encourage you, pour over Romans uh, at least 1 through 3 and go into 4 and, and, talk, and answer this question. What does God's righteousness look like? What does God's righteousness look like? Is it the Ten Commandments or is it something much bigger? I would argue and Paul would argue the same thing. Though the law and prophets bear witness to it, the reality is the righteousness of God revealed looks like Jesus on a cross, suffering servant, the holy and righteous one. They rejected God's actual righteousness. So while they were pursuing their own righteousness, they rejected God's true righteousness. It's crazy. But then they tried to kill 
the author of life. They tried to kill the author of life, which is something you obviously can't do. If somebody is a fountain of life within themselves, you can't kill that person. And even if you can kill that person, it won't matter because life will then come. That's the point. Life is stronger than death, right? Light is brighter than darkness. Whenever you turn on a light, it's always going to rush out the darkness. And it's the same with life. Whenever you have any amount of life, it's going to rush out the death. And that's the idea is you can't kill the one who is the author of life, the fountain of, of life, whom God raised from the dead there in verse 15. So we see Jesus in his suffering. Jesus died and in his death, he proved that he is the author of life. They were pursuing eternal life, but they didn't understand that life is only found in death. It's kind of backwards. We don't often think that way. Uh, and verse 18 is really the, the linchpin, I think, of the whole passage. What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And I think that's the point of Peter's sermon. He's trying to un- help these people, these Jews, understand that Jesus' suffering is healing. Je- Jesus' suffering is what actually heals us. That's the miracle that we've been longing for. That's the salvation we've been longing for. But you tend to miss it because we're looking for something much greater and Jesus, in his greatness, goes lower as the servant. Um, so Peter then says, you, got, you guys got to repent. You got to repent. You got to repent of your idolatry. Turn away from the things that are broken, from the idols that are not working. Turn to Jesus, the only one who can save. Why? Uh, there's, there's three uh, things that Peter draws out here that points to the fact that Jesus' salvation is way more thorough than even our rejection. Jesus can save better than you can reject him. Uh, And it comes out in three ways. Repent in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Two, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And three, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So you have uh, kind of three stages of of salvation here. You have your sins being forgiven. You have God's presence being offered to you, giving you rest here and now. And then also you have his return that is that is coming, his imminent return, uh, this time of eternal rest. And so you see that your salvation from, from beginning to end, from every aspect of life all around you, it's finished. It's done. It's sealed. It's set in stone. It's already been accomplished for you. What you and I long for in salvation has already been done. We are clean. You are clean. Even today, even since yesterday, since we got together and and heard the preached word, even since then, you're still clean because of Jesus. His presence gives you rest because God is with you. That means there's nothing left for you to do for him in terms of your own righteousness. Everything's been granted. God has stamped his seal of approval of you as a son and daughter of God because his spirit abides in you. It's like, it's like Jesus in, in his baptism, right? The Holy Spirit descends on you, has descended on you. And you can hear in the coming of the spirit, you can hear the voice of the father saying, you are his beloved child in whom he is well pleased. He is well pleased with you because of Jesus' salvation. And he's coming back. Praise God. He's coming back to restore all things, to bring you to himself so that where he is there, you may be also. And that's really the sermon. That's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful sermon. 
Um, but today, I, I wanted to ask you, and what I really wanted you to pour through those titles in your community group. I really want you to go through those titles. Jesus as servant, Jesus as the righteous one, which again is the overflow of God's love for you, and uh, Jesus as the author of life. And I really want you to talk about how those titles of Jesus challenge your life, how they rub against the sin nature that, that kind of still clings on, you know? Uh, how, how does Jesus being a servant kind of rub you the wrong way? Uh, or how does Jesus in his righteousness, not as a, as a book of, uh, or, or a tablet of stone of, of law, but Jesus on a cross, certainly it is a, a tablet of, of, of law. It is that it's both law and gospel, but it's not just law. It's not just a rule book. His righteousness is not just a bunch of right and wrongs. It is Jesus on a cross for you. Uh, and then third, Jesus being the author of life, having life within himself uh, and able then freely to give it up. He's, because he has life, he actually doesn't hold on to stuff. He lets go of stuff. Why? Because he's got it within himself. He's got life within himself. He is life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, uh, as, as John says in, in, four, in John 14. So I really wanted you to talk about those titles and how they rub you the wrong way, but then also how they are your salvation, how Jesus himself uh, is your salvation. Yes, it rubs you the wrong way, right? That it's not that Christianity is not just about a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about Jesus on a cross. I know. So it can rub us the wrong way if we're, if we're kind of paying attention. So how, how does that happen for you? I wanted you to walk through that. And certainly you can talk about uh, the, the idolatry that we all face, but, but rest your hearts. There's plenty to rest your heart in. Um, with your sins being forgiven, his presence giving you rest, and then his imminent return. So if you if you find on the back end of your conversation that you're doing just a you're doing just a bunch of confession, make sure make sure you talk and rest your heart, settle your heart, rejoice in the fact that your salvation because of Jesus is totally accomplished. All right, guys, have a great week, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip.